Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. What do you think about it? Whoa. The ghost was in that shell the whole time. Thank you for You're listening to Trilo, huh? Yes. A literal on table podcast where we talk about movies we saw, people we met, or games we played at or through the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. Uh, my name is Jason Daphnis. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I, of course, through every network and found myself. I'm Cody Narvison, and you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I was going to do the quote that Jason did, except I was going to substitute man with podcaster. So just pretend I did that. And then I would just say that uh, this is a podcast about people we think we met at the Trilon and movies we think we saw at the Trilon and games we think we played at the Trilon. But who knows if we really actually did any of those things. I'm Harry Mack, and you can maybe find me on Shiitake Harry or maybe find a very convincing duplicate. Uh, my name is Aaron, and you motherfuckers still all speak as children. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at RB Please. Oh, referring to my co hosts, not you listening at home. Oh, You're all it. great. He did but it again. These babies that I that I talk on a microphone with. You every share week. mic space hey, with a bunch of babies. We're we're recording on an anime that is very near and dear to my heart. They have so not I'm yet very much put, going to speak. They have like not a yet child. put put beside childish things, which is why we're talking about an anime film <laughs> that we grew up with. Making maybe. a podcast <laughs> about a cartoon. Uh, yes. but I won't spoil anything. This is actually one of the first showings, maybe the first showing of a uh, film in the into the 21st century dystopia playing at the Trilon cinema in January. Uh, check out their programming schedule at trilon.org. There's a lot of cool movies, a punch card that you get a uh, cool swag from. If you punch a certain number of movies, just check it out. Go to the Trilon cinema or trilon.org to see the programming schedule. Until then I need Aaron to tell me what this fricking movie is called and about. Yeah. We're talking about ghost in the shell, which is a 2017 no, it's a 1995 uh, film yeah. directed by Mamoru Oshii. Uh, it is an adapted from the manga of the same name. Uh, the film follows Major Matoko Kusanagi, uh, who is the assault team leader for Public Security Section 9 in Newport City in Japan. Newport City being one of the better generic uh, future uh, city names, I think, in media. Oh, yeah. It could only be better up. if it was Neoport City. Neoport City improvement. Neoport City X, maybe. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll workshop this. Um, film follows the major uh, and her partner uh, Batu uh, as well. Uh, their efforts to track down a high-profile hacker known only as the Puppet Master. Uh, he's a mysterious being. It's a mysterious being uh, that has been hacking people all over the world, uh, wiping their memories, planting false memories into them, uh, and then the Puppet Master kind of uses that that empty, uh, uh, you know no pun intended, shell to kind of do their their bidding. Uh, the film was initially a box office bomb, uh, failing to recoup its production costs. Uh, it eventually gained a large uh, cult following on home video that actually made quite a lot of money. Um, the, I must say, atrocious English dub uh, was also hit overseas. 
and like uh, Akira about half a decade uh, previously, caused the film's popularity and influence to kind of grow over time. Filmmakers such as the Wachowskis and uh, Mr. In the News, James Cameron, uh, have all kind of mentioned this film uh, as an influence on their own uh, science fiction works. Uh, the voice actors for the original sub, and I'll, I'll even toss it over to the dub as well, uh, are as follows. Uh, Major Motoko Kusanagi, uh, voiced by uh, Atsuko uh, Tanaka and Mimi Woods, uh, kind of respectively. Uh, Batu, voiced by uh, Akio uh, Atsuka and Richard Epcar. And the Puppet Master, voiced by Aimasa uh, Kayumi and Tom Weiner. Uh, Ghost in the Shell, after uh, the manga and this movie, uh, has kind of grown as a series, uh, encompassing several different films, TV series, that 2017 film that I joked about, video games, etc., all of that. Um, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the success, eventual success of this original 1995 film. Uh, that's what I got. We love a We love a dark horse. We love a slow burn. Um, that's right. I tried to watch this movie with Aaron and Cody back in what, 2017, yeah. 18, something like that. Something at, like that. At the Uptown Theater RIP in Minneapolis, the, Minnesota. Yeah. Um, it was More a midnight showing, and I think they gave me decaf. I ordered coffee on the way in, and I think they gave me decaf because I fell asleep with it in my lap and uh, with Aaron and Cody. Uh, respectively slapping each of my shoulders trying to get me to wake back up you were so it. comforted by like the the sci-fi coziness you just know, the, that, the that soundtrack warm, the warm vibes uh, throughout the movie the very yes. co- cottage core uh, thing it's well, got it's, going it's on such sure. a po- it's such a ponderous 84 minutes long <laughs> that i can see why you would be compelled on, to fall asleep <laughs> uh i i only say that because in rewatching it rewatching it quote unquote for this podcast um i'm struck by how little the plot stuck with me and how little it seemed to matter in my experience of the movie. Uh, like Aaron was saying, it's very influential. I don't think it's in terms of like plot. I think it's more in terms of world building and sort of the thematic concepts and philosophical meandering that it undertakes is like, you can pull from those things pretty disparately and, and apply them in new, in new, um, you know, contexts and with a new style. And they sort of do still ring because they're just really solid ideas. Um, I, like literally the, the thing that I take away from this movie is how little that a plot that Aaron so succinctly laid out, like is communicated like as the point of the movie, as you're watching it, um, Aaron, you joined in when I was it's sort of communicated like, a lot, it is, but it's, it's dialogue. Over, it is over exposition to, to, yeah, it's, it's, it's yes. like, they never say we have to go get the puppet master because he's trying to, you know, X, Y, Z, because he's trying to, uh, you know, hack into uh, every vulnerable cybernetic uh, mind in the universe. And yeah. then like, it's just things happen and it's a great sense of world building. I did not really follow my little lizard brain was not really following what was going on most of the time uh, as my first full watch. But that was like that qu- quickly ceased to be the point once it starts adopting larger you know, concepts about, uh, you know, the, the relationship of the self to self and the existence of, you know, the soul, it, like all those things that people remember this movie for the reasons that it has, like the reputation it has are very like strongly, uh, definitively there. Um, I really did quite love it and how it approached those things. I just wanted to know if like, was that a factor in anybody else's watching experience to have that, uh, to, you know, not really be able to follow i guess to be to be too stupid to follow the exact elements of the plot as it's going and did that like make you think more positively or negatively about the movie as you were going yeah i think that's a a pretty good place to or kind of like a launching point for this and i 
I do have some thoughts on that. Uh, Jason brought up a, a memory from watching this movie uh, in a previous life, uh, you know, a pre-COVID life. And the first time I, the first time I watched this was I saw it, I guess, twice at the Uptown Theater. The latter time being with uh, a couple of the fellas here. The first time was that Aaron? Was that also with you? Am I misremembering? Um. Uh, maybe where, where were we watching it? Yeah, uh, when uh, it was, what was I'm the setting? Sure, I'm pretty sure it was. Well, it was uh, in, like a Jason's uh, current apartment. Uh, no, I think it was. I think an uptown midnight screening. Like I, I saw circa. it with. I may have seen two uptown. I, I have actually seen. I think maybe three showings of Jesus Christ. I saw one by myself. What an embarrassment! I saw the one where Jason fell asleep, <laughs> and then I believe I saw maybe another one. Yes. Gotcha. Um, okay. Yeah. And all, all that is to say, um, I remember seeing it. I, I I made it all the way through, though I was fighting um, the, my sleepy impulses, uh, a la one Jason Daphnis. But I, I remember I came out of that screening and my, my cell phone had just like passed away, which in retrospect is extremely um, <laughs> thematically symbolic, you know, a, a vessel for memories and um, contacts and just I- images and uh, a se- certain sense of self. Um, it really makes you think, um, or it doesn't, it's whatever. But I, I guess, me, so this rewatching it the other day being my my third time, I, I do... It, the movie i do feel like the movie pulls it pulls a certain like sutter step and it's not an indictment of the movie by any means because this movie is incredible but it does like kind of backing all the way up it does you you could i think easily separate it out between sequences of like there are a, a couple like amazing action set pieces there are um sequences of very intense dialogue or sometimes just like monologue sort of either explaining the plot or uh, really get like laying out the thesis of the picture. And then there are also a couple smaller stretches where it's literally like three minutes at a time of just setting the scene. Like this is what the city looks like. Hey, it's nighttime and it's raining now. Or just That's like, the best this, this sequence what... in the movie. That is the best, best sequence, sequence in the movie. Film. Oh, yes. oh, well, it's like a top 10 for me. Like, Right. Yeah. 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 What, yeah. No disagreements there. Like that. There's a lot of stuff in this movie that rules and that sequence is uh, maybe in the top one of those things. Uh, but the the fact that the, like those things are all there and it's not necessarily how like the, the fact that we're getting so many of the thematic juices just from people talking while I'm looking at a cement wall with like fossilized prehistoric creatures in them is not how I would expect to digest a movie and it just so turns out that like ghost in the shell has all of the things that i want just like like it tweets them out just like you want to see a a cool looking ass um you know cyber dystopian city when it's fucking gently raining outside here you go you sick fuck this is what you've always wanted here here it is right and i i guess watching it this time i i i felt like i i didn't expect to just get these things that I wanted. Um, and they're the, the fact that they are so distinct and they are clearly so clearly working together so well. I don't know. Like now it's just like, I'm it's my third time watching it and I'm still amazed at, at what I'm seeing, I guess is what I'm getting at. Um, but Hey, we all like this movie. Aaron also really likes this movie. Aaron, what do you think about this movie? I think I agree with everything you're saying. I think I want to address something Jason had said, which is specifically about the kind of, uh, maybe slightly at least to a first second maybe even third time watcher nonsensical 
uh, uh, kind of understanding of the plot, which I, I think I'm still kind of, even when I watch it now, it's like, I mean, we were joking about it before we, we hit record here, but like the major is part of section nine. Uh, the bad guys who I kind of, who are kind of bad guys, I guess, but also maybe kind of not bad guys are section six. Uh, me, I'm, and me, I'm part of both. Right. And, and so there's, there's, and then the, the, the robot is, was also 2501, but the android, the AI, who's a person, but then not a person. And a lot of this is like very like kind of a phantom menace. And then it's about like, disputes between governmental organizations and like complaints about like various it's it's like kind of kind of gibberish and i don't mean that it's like actually gibberish but it's it's gibberish in a way that i find is like kind of common with a lot of anime uh adaptations of science fiction um and i think that there there's kind of a few reasons for that but when i think of something like uh paprika which we talked about last year which i think had a kind of a similar problem where there's a lot of of exposition delivering pretty important uh plot elements that kind of goes over very quickly um that happens at paprika i think something like akira uh does that as well um when i think of ghost in the shell and paprika i think it's due to their pretty short run times which is probably just a constraint on production more than anything else right paprika is about 90 minutes this is even less than that it's like what 84 86 um very i think short films given what they have to do plot wise and what they have to convey from like a context standpoint even akira which has an extra 30 minutes on it is adapting this manga which is like very huge and very large and allows you to kind of settle into the setting and the characters and i think that even something like the way that exposition is delivered in Ghost in the Shell feels like something that you would read on a page and yeah, you'd be able to yeah. go back to and kind of remind yourself over time, right? Uh, when someone says the puppet master, uh, you know, is is on all these wanted lists and is this, you know, well-known criminal, that's like a pretty easy thing to understand, right? But in a film, specifically a film, if you don't speak the language and you're reading that dialogue on a screen, that can go by really quickly. Well, if you're yeah. reading a book, it's like you go back to it and you're like, oh, yeah, that's the puppet master. That's Even- what they're known for. Movie it, it just goes by, especially when something happens like, "Oh, now Puppet Master is contained within this shell body," and it's like, "What yes. does that necessarily mean? Does he still is he still extant in the whole system? Does he have a yes. localization within this one body?" And it's like, for the purposes of the plot, yes, he's localized here, but in actuality, and it's just like elements like that go yes. for me. But- and then some random guy comes up and says, "Oh, we're taking control of this uh, body due mm-hmm. to this." you know, treaty or this bit of law. And then someone else says, Oh, but I mean, it's, it's, I I do get why it kind of like washes over you. I don't think that's necessarily like, it doesn't impact my enjoyment of the film, but it's like, it is something I've noticed with anime adaptations of sci-fi for some reason. It's, it's, I think tough to do for various reasons. Yeah. Uh, Well, I basically grew up with this movie. I've seen it a bunch. Um, I think I perfectly understand the plot, so I'm sorry that uh, I can't speak to that. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm just way smarter than you guys, I guess. No, uh, it has something to do with being a weeb from uh, way back when. I think I got a... The copy of the DVD that I used to watch this movie when I was for my 21st birthday, literally. So um, I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, It's a very important movie to me. It was... uh, I mean, I don't want to get like super pretentious, but here we are, right? But like, it's a it it and movies like this, uh, like Neon Genesis Evangelion, the TV series, Serial Experiments Lane, a lot of these sort of like very 
philosophical, speculative, um, fictional anime of the 90s specifically was like something that got me really into philosophy in the first place. Um, so it was really fun for me to return to this. I mean, I was a philosophy major in college largely because I was like a huge nerd about shit like this and I just wanted to explore it way more. Um, so to that point, I would say that I think that you guys are all drilling into something really important about this movie, which is that like whether or not the plot is gibberish, I think that like it does a really interesting thing that I think Cody, you pointed out, which is that it it has a lot of exposition, right? But the exposition that it delivers is not the way that exposition usually functions in movies. It's much more about these characters. And again, it's like maybe you could criticize this, right? Because like these characters never really feel like they're inhabitants of the world in the way that like say the characters in Akira are. They instead feel much more like they are prose commentators from outside of the world commenting on the philosophical implications of the world they inhabit, which is not really a thing that humans do, right? Like we don't sit around. Well, maybe we do, but that's because we're us. But like these characters, especially for cops, are wildly philosophical right like they they spend all of their time discussing like the implications of who they are and and what they're feeling like and what they're saying um and it makes for a movie that in my opinion is kind of subtle because like you had said jason the plot doesn't really matter except for getting you to where you need to go with it which is getting you inside of the headspace and the sort of like socio-political and existential implications of the society that these people are living in and that this case that they are on understanding the particulars of the case matters far less than understanding how the case pertains to makoto's ongoing um understanding of herself and the journey that she's on and the ways that the puppet master is sort of eerily paralleling her own uh, journey of existential sort of like um, doubt or breakdown, right? And I think that despite the movie being sort of difficult to follow in the conventional sense, I think it does like a really outstandingly good job visually, um, including that that sequence we talked about uh, with the city in the rain and um, through sort of like character interactions establishing um how it would feel to be the people that are in this uh society and to have these sort of like obligations and debts and fears that they have um without coming right out and saying it super explicitly which again is kind of an ironic thing to say right given how much exposition there is but like Mm -hmm. at the end of this i always think back to like at the end of this movie when the puppet master is like oh like makoto i chose you because i see you in me like a like a body sees itself in a mirror that made perfect sense to me right i was like yeah of course because makoto is also thinking about these things because of who she is and because of her own relationship to her body and her identity um Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Matoko, right? Is that correct? Um, yeah, I also Matoko get. Kusanagi. I, I think Makoto yes. is a more common Japanese name. Yeah, but yeah. Matoko is is her name. So apologies. Um, I like. I think that the movie does a really great job of making you understand the psychology of. Um, of, of the characters and the universe that they inhabit, right? And especially, like, there are so many lines that show how deliberately they're speaking to that. Like, I always think about the Puppet Master line when he says, um, when when computers made, uh, made 
the externalization of memory possible, you should have considered what the implications of that would be, right? Like he literally just says that and it's like, that is what the movie is about, right? And like the movie does a a really fantastic job through characterization of getting you to that place where you're considering like, what is it, like what does it mean when like um, deterministically like my memories may not be my own, my thoughts and feelings may not necessarily be my own, or at least they may have been programmed by sort of like macro organizations with uh with sort of societal goals in mind and what does that mean about who i am or like who i get to be especially if those things in my possession of those things is contingent upon a certain role that i play as in the case of uh matoko right um i think that uh and i've been going on long enough but like especially going back to this now i was really really impressed with and excited by the fact that like when i first watched this I got really into the existential um, implications of the self, implications of the individual stuff. Um, And I was not at all like interested in just because this is who I was right as like a 14 year old in the socio-political implications of this movie, which now watching it as a 30 year old are by far the most fascinating part. Right. It's like this idea that like, oh, all of this philosophy is not um, is not just sort of philosophical it's not just academic it really matters because you may be being manipulated by it actively by dystopias right like like but matoko is not just thinking like oh it's scary that i don't know who i am really or that i might not be who i think i am she's scared that she is a weapon for a state that created her to be a weapon and programmed her to want to be that weapon Right. And that is a very different and much scarier thing than the thing that I thought of when I was 14. So, um, yeah, lots, lots to think about. I'm super glad we're talking about it. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested in, and I guess where you guys think that this movie goes with all of that. Yeah. I, I will kind of say that I, I agree with your, uh, your kind of understanding of like, the characterization of, of the, the people that we meet in this film and like specifically the dialogue kind of, acting as uh, frankly kind of nothing more than like a vessel for these philosophical ideas. I think that works. I think I like it quite a bit. I mean, the most realistic dialogue in this film is the dialogue between a bunch of like government heads, right. As they like chatter over policy or whatnot. Um, And I think that that sounds kind of natural to me at least. Um, But you're right in that like Matoko specifically that conversation with like Matoko and uh, Batu uh, like you know, they're they're on the boat and they're having a conversation and like the major is like so saying stuff that no human being says or if someone says that I kind of think they're a jack off, right? If I if like if I met that person at a bar and they start going on about how they form memories and like right, how I'm their right memories here, really synthesize like but like I mean you joke, but like I've never met someone who actually like did that per se, right? Um and but I kind of don't care. It, it reminds me quite a bit of like uh, uh, Tarkovsky and like there, there's a conversation near the end of Stalker uh, and, and like all of Tarkovsky stuff is, is like this um, and that none of it is naturalistic per se. Um, but there's a conversation near the end of Stalker just straight up where they, you know, the characters just have like a five to ten minute conversation about the nature of what it means to like want something and how maybe your subconscious wants something that's different from what you know you really desire and like that that conflicting feeling being kind of a lot of the basis for like humanity and 
again, it's like nothing that maybe like Russians, you know, decades ago would say that kind of stuff. But like certainly no one I know in real life says that kind of stuff. Um, but I think personally, uh, if if you're for a film, uh, if your concepts are, are, are pretty grounded and, and I think uh, complete and I, I think that it's a science fiction film specifically. I think you can just like get away with that to be quite honest. Like, yeah, I, I think there's a version of this film where the dialogue is more naturalistic and I think it sucks. Um, and I think maybe that's the 2017 film. Uh, I haven't seen it, but like, you know, people complain oh, I, I like think that there are version probably a few is like other problems that are maybe more yes. prominent about that. Film. You, I, I, you might be correct. I watched that movie last night and I look forward you did. to, yeah, I look forward to talking about it a little bit, but are, are you, was that what you wanted to communicate, Aaron? I, I don't mean, want to stumble over you, but I, I do the, like you're making me think of some stuff. So just, just that, like, uh, I think if your film is interesting enough, you can get away with that. And I think it's like, uh, a, a, stylistic choice and i i think it's like a totally valid thing for a film to do so i yeah. dig it here i do too and when i say like i didn't understand the plot i don't mean that in terms of like it's a bad thing that i didn't understand the plot right, it wasn't right. good enough for like to to communicate it. i mean like everything actually sings about the movie uh when when looked at it from the perspective of you use the term like a vessel for ideas aaron rather than like a story that you follow and plot and characters that you like really feel for and stuff like you do end up but it's like from the outside of it they're never like pinpointing this is the motivation this is like the exposition they are sort of letting you come to the conclusion it's like it's classic good world building but even at that the world that we're building looks like an acura like full of like these maybe street gangs and like uh, the movie starts out with the uh, with the uh, with the assertion that like this is a society advanced enough to like be able to do things like externalize memory to be able to you know communicate in new ways but the lines of society of borders of class of race still exist because we have not moved past those we are not so technologically advanced that they're completely different so I think that the fact that it does spend more time with that philosophical meandering I was talking about um, that like is the movie to me. And it is like an essential element of building the world in, we talked about that whole sequence with that ends with a shot of a bunch of mannequin, like empty mannequins in a store. Um, that whole, like just lonely walk through the city does not look like dead. It looks maybe, you know, obviously uh post urban type, but it is not like, bustling and lively and look at all these crazy strange things about the world it's not like fetishistic about the future it is just like sort of empty and cold and lonely everybody talks that same way that person at the bar who's talking about uh you know the way that they form memories and the way that they wish they could hold on to them and whether or not they're theirs that kind of like you can imagine that that person exists in this world because everybody just moves around it a husk within a husk like nothing is full of meaning in itself it is like abstracted to a, you know that's the whole place that the puppet master comes from it is an ai born from just the constant flow of information and it's sort of like ones and zeros and meaningless like inherently meaningless nothing that is given meaning through its like interactions and friction with other elements of society I'm, i think i'm getting a little bit too crazy minded but your 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 points are well taken that like you can get away with this kind of stuff if you've built a good cushion for it. And in this movie, I think is all building good cushion for it so that when we get to the end, when we get to the fucking tree of life being like riddled with bullets up to hominis at the top. And then the concept of like elevating beyond that, that just hits because you've already established this like really milky, saucy milieu of what's, what is the cell? What is identity? What, like, why do we search for it? How do we make it? How do we maintain it? Um, 
the puppet master's whole thing about standardization being, uh, I forget exactly the term, but standardization being like inherently prone to flaws and errors. And the only thing that we can which rely on parallels something that Matoko said at the beginning, right? Which is over specialization leads to death when she's talking to her human partner. Right. right? It's, it's like, it, like, again, these, like you said, these ideas just tend to come together because it puts you in this like sort of swimmy space where it's like tenpoled by cool action scenes and really neat uh, direction and stuff. And it keeps you watching because of that. But the ideas are sort of communicated alongside it in less of a concrete way, I guess it's, I I don't think I've had that experience directly with anime, you know, distinctly not a live action film, but with anime, I think this is kind of new for me, except like, I guess angel's egg, which is a previous Mamoru Oshii movie uh, that sort of does touch on a lot of the same things, uh, but with no dialogue. So I think he's very, pretty well versed in communicating ideas and putting those things forth and giving them shape without like handing it to you directly, kind of letting you come to your own conclusions about it. I was really fascinated by the experience of watching this movie because of that and not, you know, in spite of it per se. Um, I also think that we talked about this a little bit with Akira, where one of my favorite things about Akira is the fact that like Tetsuo's bike has like such an iconic presence uh, within like culture that you don't realize that it was also like deeply symbolic within the movie itself. Right. And it kind of in a wild way represents what it represents to us now, which is something that's like impossibly cool. Right. Like that. That's why uh, Kanada hates Tetsuo so much is because of what he represents. Um, I think that this movie similarly is doing a lot of things with genre trapping of both dystopian science fiction and anime that maybe uh, this far removed from it, we don't totally understand. Um, I've always said I, I kind of would have loved to have seen a version of Matoko that doesn't, that isn't this movie's Matoko, like maybe an act one Matoko, because I think that when this movie opens because of its length, we're like very far down her path, right? But there is like, there's something almost comedic. And I think that this is sort of like, um, supposed to be part of the um, uh, the idea of the movie is that it's it's weird and ironic that of all people, Matoko is the person who is talking like this. Matoko is the person who is experiencing these feelings. She's a super cop. She's literally RoboCop, right? Like she's an action movie heroine and like the most cop of all cops. Section nine is like a yeah. special cop division that uses super technology and they routinely, I mean, it's demonstrated that her life is nothing but waking up, uh, looking out at the city, going into work and then enacting horrific, gruesome violence on behalf of the government. Right. And like of all people, this, this cyborg assassin super cop is now like this person who is like deeply worried about if she's real and who owns her memories, who owns her identity, and if she ever really wanted this to be, to be this way in the first place. And she says, and the movie sort of like uh, picks up, that maybe everybody, every full replacement cyborg gets to this place, right? And then the implication from there further extended in sequences like the uh, city sequences, maybe everyone who develops sort of cybernetic parts gets this way, or maybe everybody who sort of transcends uh, through technological or uh, sort of communal means 
the individual self, right? Maybe we all start to think about like, okay, like where did I actually come from? Like, why am I actually having these thoughts and feelings? Are they mine? Do I own them? Right? Like, and in, in her case, it's very literal because Matoko literally does not own the body she currently inhabits, right? There's that great line where she says like, if you quit the police force, they will repo your body from you. And all of the bodies are all of the memories that this body contained. They belong to the government. They will return to the government. And so you sort of like extend that further out and like ownership of identity becomes very important, right? And not only in the literal sort of like IP (laughs) um, or like legal sense, but also just sort of like in terms of like in a community, like in a, an organization in, in a city, like, what does it mean to be who you are? Like, are you actually you or how are you influenced and what did that create? Right. Um, and so I think that like, oddly, even though it is like a very, a movie that uses philosophical, um, speeches in lieu of sort of like regular naturalistic characterization, it kind of works for me in the sense that like, there is something very stark about the fact that it is Matoko of all people who is arriving here, right? Because she is sort of like deeply symbolic of like the, like Heriophant or the, like, um, the, uh, like epitome of this culture, right? She is the cutting edge technology. Her body has literally been created by this, this culture. And yet there is something inside of her that is at war with that. And like, she, she's like, um, what does it mean that I have these doubts? Like, is the doubt itself evidence that I am who I am? Or is that doubt in and of itself evidence that I'm not who I am? Right. Right. Is it planted itself? Right. There's a really great sort of philosophical tug of war happening in her that's sort of representative of the tug of war that's supposed to be happening um, in everyone with the proliferation of technology and modernity. Right. Yeah. And what you're saying about like the ownership of identity and like it's reminding me of one of the most fucking tragically sad parts of this movie, which is the trash man. Um, Just as a quick intro, like he is being controlled he's being manipulated by the puppet master you meet him and he's talking about his daughter and about his wife and about the life that he loves um and his partner in the in the car doesn't want to see his pictures and stuff and then uh it's revealed that he's actually being manipulated by the puppet master to have planted these like a lifetime of memories with his wife and child and uh the worst fucking part is when they get him back to section nine and they're trying to like debrief him on what happened they're explaining like this is a picture of you your wife is not in this picture and you live in a bachelor's apartment and there's no child there's no wife and he's just glassy-eyed dead stare and they're like sorry we can't like remove those from you you're just gonna have to live with basically three versions of yourself a version like that is a bachelor and maybe a happy person but not the person you thought you were version that has a wife and child and the version that knows both of those things have to be true a little bit it's just this terrifyingly like fraught moment that is like almost laughably sad it's fucking so depressing and it's speaking exactly to what you're talking about like how the whole thing fractures under the slightest like one plot element this guy took over his brain for one specific purpose boom everything is fucking or ruined. Like, a life is just ruined he has doubt he will doubt himself forever because of this he will kill and himself there's, there's an even briefer one right where like the the black guy that they've been chasing through t- chinatown and who's shooting at them with an smg like they finally catch up to him and stop him and, and he's like i'll never tell you anything and bateau's just like why would we ask you anything you don't even know your own name <laughs> it's and so then he just like stops and he's just like wait what yeah and it, it, oh, oh man, man it's so good that's it's what so this movie can do because they've put that cushion down 
spinoff of the things that you fellas have been characterizing really well. Uh, I, I might say um, hot take. You guys are doing a great job, but um, it's not a hot take. It's the coldest of takes. But um, and I guess another cold take is uh, how great the music is in this movie and how that feeds. Dude, um, I, so I think uh, thinking about things that are rather, I guess, unconventional about this movie or, or like it's coming at certain things differently than we might expect. Um, and I think one of you guys said tug of war, um, some things that are at, are at odds with each other. And the, the music that we, the iconic music that we get in this movie, the very like drum heavy, um, uh, there are people, uh, everybody here is better at characterizing music than me, but like the drums and the bells and the sort of like vocal through line through all of this, it, it's like, um, very like minimal and not very loud uh, or, or bombastic in comparison to like maybe what you would get in other like dystopian e like movies of this ilk or like very like cyber you know whatever's but um it, it that music it, it kind of frequently i think cuts against the um like the on-screen like whatever tone is being portrayed on screen and it like it enhances both like the music is, is very memorable the imagery that we get from this movie is is very memorable and it, like it almost works more so because like the two aren't like blended together it's not like the music isn't some gray blah nothing that like you forget about and it, it feeds in, into the visuals and you get like a unified picture but like it almost works better because like they're like it's it's um like a, a slight it, it's different from again like what what you'd maybe expect and i think about that scene when when um you know major matoko is uh kicking that 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 guy's ass you know that that thug whose head is his mind taken over and the music is very like it's very calm it's almost serene it's yeah it's not like you know the it's not it's not like cowboy bebop opening theme music like punch punch thwap um yeah like it's it's quite the opposite and like it it's i'm trying to oh i i had a comparison in my head that i that it just it left me but um also thematically symbolic but just the the fact that the like the music is um it's almost saying like take this in every kick is going to hit harder as a result. And especially in retrospect, when you think about, oh, she's, she's beating the shit out of, out of somebody who like, yeah, he literally doesn't know his name. He doesn't, he like, he doesn't know anything. She is doing this because she is, I think as Harry said, like the most cop of all cops. Uh, and the fact that the music very distinctly does not feed into that, in that moment, um, the further you progress you through the later acts of the movie. And I think all that is to say, this is a movie that f feeds upon rewatches and builds upon revisitations extremely, extremely well. But the, yeah, I don't know the, the, the weight and sort of inevitability of some of these things uh, being punctuated by the music, again, being sort of slightly antithetical to what you might expect, I think is extremely important. I, I love that you brought that up because during the movie uh, at the final climax with the fight against the, I think it's a section six tank that's trying to uh, sort of take back the body of the puppet master of 2501. Like that scene is itself another that's like overly bombastically actiony, a lot of gunfire, a lot of flipping and dipping and running and jumping. Um, but it is just a constant like sort of like ambient thrum, a sort of like a synthetic soundscape rather than a really like beating, like really pumping energy type music. To me, that was like, this is the perfect soldier. She has enhancements in her body that can allow her to sober up immediately from a like bare drunkenness. She has like her blood pressure 
remains under control the whole time. Her heartbeat will not like exceed a certain amount because she has to remain uh, completely in control of her environment, I guess, maybe not of her inner self, but of her environment. And that would include like having a certain stasis that was like, I mean, it's baby brain shit, but like, that is why that scene was so muted in my, because she's like, she has her mission. She has her purpose. She's doing like, she's trying to get to the heart of um like, who she is and like she's now sort of prioritizing uh, her ghost over her shit. she tears off her own arm trying to open up that tank and it's just like concentrated force of will right it's just herself and we're hearing sort of like a soundscape that might put us in that same mode rather than something that's really going to get our blood pumping as this crazy action scene goes on so i'm glad you brought up the music because it not only is very very good but consistently thematically uh like uh, uh, uh that was a stupid thing to say consistently thematically consistent with what we're actually watching <laughs> on the screen. Yeah, I know, I know. I know. I run out of words eventually. Well, I, I think that the, one of the reasons that the film is such a kind of a weird first watch, but also one of the reasons that I think it's so influential is that it does pretty much every decision that the film makes is kind of, kind of destroys what your assumptions about the film are. Right. Like, like mm. I think most people going into this, uh, having seen a good amount of media kind of inspired by Ghost in the Shell, right? You've seen The Matrix. You've seen, uh, I mean, a bunch of different uh, things that are kind you've of, seen Ghost at least in the visually. Shell. You've seen, right. Even, you've maybe even seen other Ghost in the Shell stuff uh, from kind of down the line. Um, and I think that pretty much everything about this film is, is kind of designed, um, maybe not intentionally, but to kind of destroy your assumptions about what this movie is, right? I think the music is a great example. Uh, we talked about the dialogue earlier doing the exact same thing. Um, I think the action sequences are kind of, uh, they operate similarly and that none of the action sequences here are like traditionally action-y or cool, right? right. I think that they, they are cool right uh, obviously uh, uh you know this kind of cyborg fighting this tank is is pretty cool uh the the scene earlier with uh the mind wiped guy uh kind of shooting at the water uh, as the major is invisible that's obviously pretty cool too right but it's it's not actually it's not what you would expect um and i think that it is pretty much all of that is like focused on delivering from a thematic standpoint that is so much more important than than all of that other stuff right um there's kind of a thematic reason where uh for like the setting where uh, the major is fighting this tank right um there is a reason that this entire kind of uh, building is is flooded with water, right? And, and why this image of water being this surface that you kind of uh, can kind of sink yourself into, but also that reflects yourself back to you is like shown over and over again, right? Um, a lot of that's even like very obvious. I mean, it, it's like there's a scene straight up where the major is like fighting the tank and it just like shoots the entire tree of life up to, uh, you know, humans it's, at the top. It's and so it's like the most... Cool. It's kind of obnoxiously like unsubtle, but like uh, this film is like a bunch of very unsubtle uh, kind of thematic points that are like delivered with like kind of like with a hammer, uh, but still kind of pulling it off regardless. Right. And it's like it's such a weird experience to watch this because it does just kind of, uh, you know, buck what you would expect constantly. But um, I think that that's really what I love about it. Uh, and like the music is a part of that. The action is a part of that. The dialogue is, too. Um, yeah. Oh man, I'm so glad we're we're getting there because like that really really hooks up nicely with like my 
overall reading of the film, which is that like I think it, the reason one of the reasons why it has to be unsubtle is because it really wants to get you far in a short period of time. I think that like everything is in service of very particularly getting you to adopt essentially Matoko's mindset, right? Like you're supposed to feel the dissociation and the disconnection between what you thought was this was going to be and what it is just the way that she's feeling it right like we meet Matoko at the beginning and she is sort of arriving at this place where she has this profound sense of existential unease because she no longer feels like she is the person she thought she was right like she's doing all of these things she doesn't really know why or even worse, she does know why, right? Like she, she does know why she believes the things that she does and is doing the things she does. She just doesn't know if she really buys it anymore, right? And um, I think that like everything from like the weird dissociative, like uh, chilly sort of like terror of the action sequences in uh, sub- subversion of what we think they might be to like the fact that like our super cop is like this philosophical sort of like sad girl right um to the the fact that like we get this like this dystopian future that is less like openly dystopian uh as it is sort of like just very sad and isolated right like i think one of my favorite shots is just when like speaking of water during the city sequence when like we see water reflecting the surface of the city and then raindrops start falling and the ripples sort of like break up and refract the single visual into um, a lot of different sort of like uh, fragmented visuals. That's really amazing. Um, And like really symbolic. And I like, I think that all of that is, is to get you to, I think that the movie is really trying to like, make you understand Matoko's decision at the end and agree to it in some extent, or at least see why it is necessary, right? Like from the very beginning, the movie tells us that we are right on the precipice, right? Like the reason why it says that like, oh, this is a society where um, like we are capable of all of these super futuristic things, but identities and and ethnicities and um, classes have not yet been erased, right? That's to, to tell you that like that's coming, Right. Like this is like the last chapter of what was then. And yeah. by the end of the movie, we enter the now. Right. Like in through Matoko, we do that. And the movie is kind of about getting us to understand why Matoko makes the decision that she does at the end of the movie to enter that next phase. And in the process, right, it has to turn the the sort of like looking um, glass back at us, right? And be like, oh, like, is this actually different, right? Like in, in the age of digital technology, in the age of computers, um, our identities are changing. They are more malleable than they've ever been before. We have like the understanding to... Um, to, to figure out the ways in which they have maybe always been more malleable and more illusionary than we thought they were. And what does that mean going forward, right? Like what, how do we have to change to sort of like uh, cope with and internalize that newfound understanding that uh, modernity is, is sort of like providing us with. Um, And I think that like the movie does such a fascinatingly good job of sort of like through not even just Matoko's, 
monologues or the monologues of the other characters, but like the associations that the puppet master is sort of like leading them through, right? Where it's like, okay, we're going to show you this guy who had his memories erased. We're going to show you the fact that like the puppet master can build new bodies. We're going to show you Matoko seeing a version of herself in an office window and thinking about that. We're going to like show you the city where there are mannequins that look like Matoko and then they look like nothing, right? Um, We're going to show you all of these things to sort of like get you to understand sort of like emotively, um, if not like literally what it like, what we're trying to say about the self and the identity in a world where these things are sort of so contingent upon um, subjective experience and uh, like, and, and therefore so contingent upon things that may or may not be in our control. Right. And like, what does that mean in a world where those things are increasing exponentially? Um, I think that like, it, it it does such a fascinatingly good job of conveying those things without like making this feel like, and I mean, sometimes it does feel like it's just sort of a philosophical treatise. Right. But um, it, it does a really good job of doing that in a very sort of humanistic way. I think. Yeah. Here's Maybe the thing. Ironically. It's, it's okay. If it's a philosophical treatise, if it's a good one, IMO, you know, true. Uh, I, I heard somewhere that you miss 100% of the shots uh, and philosophical treatises that you don't uh, take <laughs> and or write make, up. So that's yeah. make an 88 yeah. minute anime yeah, film out of. So, yeah, something to think about. Um, and uh, y'all have, I think, given us here uh, and anybody who might be listening a lot to think about and uh, at risk of just being the person who roundtables like the technological uh, or the technical facets that uh, rule in this movie. Um, the, the fact that we are coming back around to, I guess, like reiterating how great of, of a vessel Matoko is for kind of the through line of of this movie as well as the like the visual specifically how the how Newport City is is visualized in a lot of these sequences one thing that i particularly loved um like coming back to this for a third time is how um like you think about the i guess the the images that are associated with this movie if ghost in the shell you like come across it on the internet and it's usually like one of the handful of really cool shots of, of major Matoko either like standing above the city or when she's, I think by the water, you know, doing her like little, mm-hmm. like the middle of the movie when she's diving um, and her like profile is juxtaposed with the city in the background. And like, it looks really cool. And it also, I, I guess like reading um, uh, one might argue too far into it, but I would argue maybe even not far enough, but just the fact that this, uh, like a couple of different ways, like I, I guess literally getting into how Matoko works to defy her physical limitations and the fact that she is pictured as big as or bigger than or above Newport City, or, you know, to an extension, you know, like the, the entire, the entire world, the entire like living, you know, all living races, just like she like defying all that is um, I th- like really cool to see visualized in that way. And it also is, and like it's like validating right in a certain sense of you we see her at the beginning when she is the most cop of all cops and she's standing above the city and then she's having these concerns down by the water this um as her uh, partner points points out forgive me I, I forget his name but like he's there and he points out you know you're 
out here on the water and if you're kind of your your floating mechanism fails you realize like you could you would just sink in you would cease to be um and like using that as a jumping off point she's like yeah but, but what does it mean to be and then she uh again like her her face is is mapped with like the the city all these buildings in the background and then the closing shot of the movie when she is literally standing above the city and being like hmm what next what's what you know what's my next journey like uh, that's it's just it's extremely cool um it's 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 low-key hype is a, a term that i like throwing out there but uh, i like that, <laughs> that 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 there's that there's that there's consistency and and like thinking back like oh yeah that is how they end this uh they they bookend this movie like validating the yeah the the the, the concerns this this living being has about like her own mortality and that's it's it's extremely cool um and not that those are the only cool visuals in this movie but that particular use highlighting and enhancing matoko as our lens as our vessel for all this is um oh man so well said i i love that uh i like i kept thinking during this movie like it doesn't feel like to me in tum in some total like having watched the movie it does not feel like it was necessarily her story by the time that it abstracts a lot of those themes and concepts it doesn't feel like the story of matoko the brave young girl who was able to reclaim her identity kind of thing it's like here's you know a, a really good example like what makes her such a good vessel for that is that she is 100 maybe with some like lingering human brain cells but um the perfect like cybernetic being and her challenge is clear her goal is clear her mission is clear like define humanity and for a human watching that it's like how much of that can i empathize with versus how much is me watching this character come to her own conclusions about it. And she doesn't really come to her own conclusions about it. She comes to enough of a conclusion to know that she wants to surpass what she is. She wants to uh, surpass what humans can be. She wants to be able to mesh the, you know, uh, the sum total information of, of 2501 with, uh, you know, the very human, the, the, she basically wants to blend the ghost and the shell. She wants to be able to like become both. She wants to transcend both. Um, like, I'm sorry, I lost a little bit of where I was going. Oh, uh, her challenge to like define humanity is like portrayed in stark contrast again and again to the idea like through those side characters, through the political maneuvering, through all of this, these calculations and uh, missions that they go on is like performing humanity is not the essence of what it means to be human. She is like an example of that. And we're, we see humans in this movie that do that. We see robots in this movie that do that. We see robots in this movie that like are of lower evolution or advancement that she is. And they're trying to do that just like from every angle and she is like the 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 nucleus of it all i think that's what makes her such a good like i also at some point want to talk about what makes the puppet master such a good like not necessarily foil to that but answer to that but i think her as like our lens really incredibly strong um and in a surprising way i guess to me yeah in a surprising way and in such a deeply humanizing way right like i think this is a story about matoko ironically learning to become human right and like her journey is sort of a journey that everybody has to go on, right? It's almost a coming of age story, right? The sort of like philosophical doubt and anxieties that come with understanding that your identity might not be entirely your own, right? That free will might not be entirely a thing, that that things that you hold sacred about yourself may in fact be contingent on things outside of your control, right? Um, things maybe that you didn't even want to happen to you that you now have to deal with. Um, I, Matoko starts as far away from human as possible, literally, right? Like both in the literal sense and in the sort of like social uh, symbolic sense, right? Like I said, she's the most cop of cops, right? And like this demonstrates that like there is a sort of shared humanity in that like existential fear and doubt, 
right? Like even the puppet master, right? Like at the end to, to get to your point, Jason, like it turns out that this puppet master who we have sort of seen as like intimidatingly impossibly far removed from humanity, right? He is, he's a, a being literally born out of the internet, uh, a, a quote unquote artificial intelligence, although he refuses to call himself that, that is just sort of like born out of information and does not have human limitations. And at the end of the day, it turns out that what does he want to do? He wants to uh, die and reproduce so that he can continue his legacy. Um, and like, this is the scene with the tree of life. Right. And so it turns out that like, this is sort of fundamental to all living things is that like, what do we want to do? We want to continue, right? Like we don't want to, um, we don't want to die. We don't want to be ourselves forever. And like, he extends that outward. Right. And he says like, to be human is to change, which is like really the, um, in my in my mind, like one of the huge prevailing themes of this movie, right, is that like he sort of like comes to this conclusion that like, look, I'm immortal, I'm all powerful, and all I want is to change, even if that means dying, even if that means that it's not me that is uh, changed, right, that that continues. Like I want more than anything to continue to change, to continue to evolve, to continue to um, sort of repurpose myself. Um, and, mm-hmm. and then he says, like, it turns out that, like, Matoko, like, that, that fear that you're experiencing, that anxiety, that is actually the same thing. Like you want to change too, and you just need to sort of, like, let go of this this purity that you have about who you are and about this idea that there is a version of yourself that is sort of sacrosanct that can't be altered, um, which is her anxiety. Right. And I think that like by the end of the movie, she in a really like kind of beautiful way, she learns to let go of this idea, this sort of illusionary self that is fixed, that is um, that is sort of like sacred and instead learns to embrace what it means to be someone capable of, um, continuous evolution, right? And in the, in my mind, that's sort of like what the movie is saying needs to happen for people mm-hmm. as we move forward. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly like you said. Like, there's this sort of totemic importance placed on the on the ghost. Uh, like, do do I have one? What what does that mean? Is it is it like equivalent to a soul? What does it mean if it's like beyond intelligence? Um, and the puppet master's whole thing is like that too is movable that too is is changing that too evolves like the the nature of the self is not concrete it is not unchanging it is not permanent it is not something to be found and da 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 you found like the meaning of life it is something that also is in constant flux uh so his the uh, uh, imperative to transcend beyond like the the division between ghost and shell marries up perfectly with what matoko is looking for like that's that's i think what makes him such a i don't want to say or him i say they it such like a it's not foil but like such an answer to what she's been looking for a mirror yeah right okay mirror great 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 term for it um like his whole thing is escaping and transcending those human understandings of identity like between gender they reference gender like it's a man's presumably man's voice in a very feminine body you know consciousness uh, uh uniqueness the whole concept of the cell of the soul itself is like all those things that you consider like the goal to attain are not, they are themselves once attained, still evolving. They're still changing for having been attained for having been sought. They are in constant 
flux. Uh, and like that marries with the narrative that we've already built those that like Matoko's search for identity and meaning has like a natural uncomfortable endpoint for her, which is like that human machine dichotomy, the ghost and shell debate is always going to like reign until we mo- like understand that there is no difference between like the changing self and the changing form. Uh, she can bypass it. She can like eschew it completely by, by like joining him and just becoming this, you know, the, a, a new breed of being, um, you know, attaining self-actualization in a way by understanding that there is no such thing as self-actualization. Uh, it, I, I just think it's really smart. Self-actualization, yeah. right? It's a movie about the breaking down of binaries, right? right? I think that's why it speaks to me so profoundly is because it, it like sort of, it's, it's very anti-existential purity, right? In the sense that it, it's like, you have to sort of give up on this idea that there is a version of yourself that is unchanging, that there is a version of yourself that is sort of like projected by God that is, that yes. is correct uh, or that there is a version of history or of um, life itself that is sort of like completely fixed that that is that is right right um, or a self that is um, that is true versus uh, whatever you think you are right or whoever you want to be um, and I, I think that there's something that is like very I think that this movie is making the point that like that understanding that um, that basically, you know, like I non-binariness, right? Like that the that the termination of gender binaries and racial binaries and um, like all all binaries. That is ultimately what it means to be human, right? Because like that those things are illusionary; they're not true. Well said. Well said. Um, I'll leave the drawer open. Excuse me, the door open one last time before we open up the drawer door drawer. Uh, that Minnesotan vowel shift is already getting to me. Um, any other things before we get to the junk drawer, which is where we just unload? I want. You said you saw the 2017 film. I want your quick that, take. That was that was going to be in my junk drawer. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, like, sorry. No, that's if that's if that's where we want to go next. Harry, was there anything else you wanted before we get to um, that? I guess just, I really love what a sympathetic movie this is. Again, that's kind of ironic, but like I, I think it's really cool that like Matoko learns to sort of transcend her own anxieties, right? But like the movie does a very good job of portraying why those anxieties are so real, yeah. <laughs> right? Like like for her and for everybody, it's like, oh, like, yeah, it totally makes sense that like the idea that you're not really real or that maybe you've been manipulated your entire life is a very scary thing um, to come to terms with. Mm-hmm. And it is natural to want to reject that, right? And like, uh, maybe that's, you know, you're on the journey toward that. I think that right. like, there's something really humanist about this movie, about Matoko's journey and the puppet master's journey. Right. And the fact that like, they are so messy, um, both of those journeys, uh, but there's something universal about them as well. Um, I just think that like the movie does a really good job of like, it's a movie about like breaking down individualism and breaking down binaries. And mm-hmm. it does such a good job of that sort of like, um, formally and structurally as well i yeah. really like that there's something very sympathetic but also uh almost pitiable about wanting to like understand and concretely identify like to define the self in the face of like oh this movie is all about how that is not definite literally uh so yeah well said um <sighs> the, uh, I, I won't i won't spend a long time on the 2017 movie but uh, suffice to say a few things it is not very good also very very much <laughs> almost exclusively about matoko 
uh, and the character is named, yeah. I believe, Mira in the in the in this live action remake. Yeah, they changed her um, name. It is pretty much exclusively about that. Um, I hope I'm not spoiling this for anybody. I don't care, but I hope not. Uh, there is no perfect equivalent for the puppet master. There is somebody manipulating other, you know, cybernetically enhanced people. That person is like a prototype version of what Matoko was created to be and is just out for revenge against the cybernetic corporation, Hanka corporation. I think they call it that created him. And he's like the discarded, uh, like 1.0 version of Matoko. Um, she is indeed, uh, like born and coded as uh, an American woman. Uh, but Guys, what you don't understand, and this is the real kicker. This is what fucking like this is a the mule, you'll be ashamed of like your a, thoughts and like actions. A mule <laughs> in the back of my head, I had no idea that they did this. The thing is, her ghost is yeah. that of a young Japanese woman named Matoko Kuzanagi. Literally, you don't get it. She's Japanese on the inside, and that's how it's sure. okay. It's it's so oh, then that's fine. Heinous. <laughs> Is, oh my god! Is, is there an equivalent of the the Ghost City sequence where it's just shots of the city? Kind not of not really. There, there are every shot. Like, unfortunately, every scene has like some way that it's trying to forward the plot. Um, not in always smart ways, but like, yeah. uh, really, the closest they get to that is that um, Batu, uh, who actually does look somewhat faithful to the character in the comics, or excuse me, in the anime, even though it's like kind of gruesome to see his eyes like that in real life. Um, <laughs> It, it really is kind of weird because he goes undergoes a surgery partway through the movie to replace his eyes with those. Uh, and like, it sure. just looks kind of like Cronenberg. It's a little weird. Um, <laughs> but like the closest we get to that is like, he really likes to feed the stray dogs in the city. And so we go on a st- short trip where uh, Mira and he go to like feed the stray dogs. And one of them is a basset hound. Like I remember the basset hound being a thing in the, in the original movie. And I was like racking my brain for like, what is this semiotic significance of the basset hound? It literally just turns out that Mamoru Oshii likes basset hounds. So he puts them in all his work and that's it. <laughs> and they're like, this movie Dang. feels like they're trying to assign some like real rhetorical importance to the basset hound because like he takes, she takes care of it. One spot to has his eyes replaced. Cause he doesn't want to scare the dogs. And then she like comes to some metaphysical conclusion about herself or like what she needs to do next by feeding the basset hound. And it's like dog. It's just, it's just a dog. It's just a really cute dog. Uh, the, the movie, like it, I will say in its favor to say one positive thing, incredible production design. A lot of that set design does really, really good. A lot of the lighting, a lot of the cinematography does look, make it look like a really good movie. It just moves with, it's like, it's like the prettiest stupid ass person you've ever met. (laughs) Like just moving through the world, assuming that they know everything and everybody wants to pay attention to them. It's just really, uh, but like, I almost respect it. Last thing I say, I do, I do respect it for not trying to even come close to like the philosophical ideas meandering and like, uh, high-minded, high-concept stuff that the that the original does, it does something completely different. It's just a revenge story. It just turns into a revenge story. She ha- literally has like a badass one-liner at the very end of the movie, and that's how the movie ends. Um, yeah, 2017 Ghost in the Shell, Drunk Drawer. My my thoughts are are closed on that. Anybody else? Uh, uh, there wow. is a somebody is credited for gun design um, in the credits of this movie. And um, they talk about guns a lot, which, again, is kind of cool because they're cops and like cops love guns. So, of course, they do. I would like to say, though, and maybe maybe this is sort of uh, against my 
politics or whatever, but a lot of really fucking cool guns in this movie, guys. Um, sure. And the section six, when those guys have briefcases that open up, oh my god, and their guns inside those, everything looks like either a P ninety or a FAMAS, and those are the two coolest guns ever designed. Easily, and it's uh, like they the twenty seventeen movie does in fact retain those cool briefcase oh, things. And they do look okay, as cool in real cool. life as they look Harry's in the anime. Just to say, yeah, <laughs> I do. I do unfortunately have to see that now. Um, I think uh, Seth pointed this out in his review, but the the invisible water battle still the coolest shit ever in cool. existence yeah it's it's the best um a lot of the like a lot of the tech just looks so good in this movie um and shout outs to the extremely 90s uh but lovable uh binary sequence like literally there's just a bunch of zeros and ones that like become the names mm-hmm. of the guys again it's like aaron said like about as subtle as a hammer but it really really works for me um a lot of things about this movie just deeply work for me oh uh, i had one more junk drawer which is um i'm glad cody brought up cowboy bebop not only because like the expressivity of that music is supposed to be like sort of like it's a really good counterpoint to this because they're like equal opposites but also because like specifically episode two uh of cowboy bebop in the chinatown where um i think that's where they uh they meet ein for the first time like you just believe it 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 like eats this movie's lunch so bad. Like it's so clear that like they just watched that movie like the night before they animated that whole episode. It's so funny. Um, but you know, I mean, Kings learning from Kings, I guess. True. Um, shout out to 2017's Ghost in the Shell, which I probably won't watch unless I 2017 go about it in like- the. Exactly. Um, hmm. I just feel like I'm in SpongeBob during the Rock Bottom episode. Uh, unless I, I watch it with like um, uh, while f- polishing off a full bottle of wine, like I did with that Cats movie that came out a few years ago. Unless I go in like that, I'm probably out of luck with with seeing 2017's Ghost in the Shell. Um, uh, all this uh, hashtag gun talk made me think about a moment from the movie that I really liked when the the thug that they're chasing um the guy who's having one of the guys who's having his mind fucked with he pulls out like an armor piercing gun and he plants his feet and you can see him like sliding back a little bit with each shot as it like goes through and again pierces the shell of uh of this dummy thick vehicle um really like that detail uh and then last shout out from me i think it was uh ishikawa who was um it's like a scene where he or like one of the the agents one of the officers or whatever is get he's like plugged in and relaying intel about the puppet master and section six section nine section 69 and and all that stuff uh to to the chief um and it just felt like i was like why have i gravitated so much towards this scene because it like it's a, a, a memorable scene and i remember it from previous viewings of it and then i would like came to the obvious conclusion of like, Oh, this is just like the most distilled optimized Cody's noties, um, like visual visualization that uh, I've ever seen. Uh, just somebody plugged in and just like, Hey, here's everything you want to know about this thing. Um, all right, diving back in. Um, so really, really like that scene for that. And, and for other reasons, love it. Love it. When the homies can see themselves in the cinema, they consume, you know, it's, it's good. Representation matters. Oh, I just had one last thing to say. It's maybe kind of a bummer to go out on. I really like the extreme. It's like subtle, but like extreme sort of like uh, gender takedown of Batao that this movie has where like uh, throughout the movie, all of the like, especially Matoko is like extremely not worried about showing her naked body. 
um, in ways that are sort of like 90s anime leering, but in ways that are also a little bit Hideo Kojima, like you will be ashamed of your words and actions because like it turns out that that is symbolic, right? It's like, oh, it's not my body, right? So like there is no modesty for me to feel because I'm so dissociated from it. Uh, but Tao, um, in like stark contrast to everybody else, like looks away from Matoko. He's still sort of like modest. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, when he is sort of like trying to save her uh when she doesn't really need to be saved anymore he puts her head on like a little girl body and then he's like hey you can just hang around in my apartment forever if you want in your little girl body that i got for you and she's actually like i put together a room for you he he did say like something along the lines of for the record uh, this isn't really my type sort of like uh-huh. offhanded like yeah, whatever he thinks he protests too much i was gonna say it sounds like saying. somebody who, yeah. whose type it exactly is the little exactly Lolita Lolita. in like that little doll dress and then she's like actually uh thanks but no thanks i have to go be a god on the internet so fuck <laughs> off uh so i i really enjoy that aspect of this weirdness where it's just sort of like hey if you're leering at matoko you're the problem bitch so good stuff i think we're all the problem bitch uh okay well we have uh I, i'm sorry aaron did you have any uh junk drawer thoughts i, I don't want to leave no, i was just now. gonna say that uh, i have to go be a god on the internet is what i say whenever i log into post uh, the, by whenever I log into the social media site of choice for it's the day, it's a shame you're taking a break. Yeah, vertical uh, slice here. You, your your name is on break, um, and yet you're still sending tweets to the chats. So uh, true. I to would, believe would, everything's relative. Have you transcended uh, being online? Uh, being offline? Yeah, I both. Yeah, I, I'm I'm uh, I'm both. I'm both. He's both. Yeah. He's both, yeah. ladies and gents. Uh, he's both. That's we right. have uh, one final segment of the show. Uh, thank you. Closing the junk drawer. I will eventually record my own junk drawer. Uh, but for right now, we have one final segment to the show, um, which Harry needs to help me introduce. I would be happy to, Jason. It is a segment we like to call <gasps> Cody's Noties. Wow. Thank you, gentlemen, for that cybernetic introduction uh, as we've done with the the first episode from or dating back the last couple of years that we did it for the first episode of 2021 we did it for the first episode last year in 2022 uh want to want to round table speak into existence some movie watching goals uh for ourselves over the next year or so and, and i'll go first just so everybody can can get a chance to gather their thoughts um starting first and, and foremost with regards to importance last year uh, I believe I predicted the Try Love Twitter account would get to 150 Twitter followers. And we did get there before a certain billionaire started driving people away from that platform. Uh, and just because it's I all have all no his idea, fucking fault. It is um, uh, that and um, countless other things. Uh, but I, I just because I don't know what's going to happen, what the landscape of that's going to turn out to be over the next 360 odd days or, or so. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to su- submit a, a formal prediction uh, but if you're listening to this and don't already follow us um and you want a little more shit posting in your life cha-ching you know where to go uh with regards to my own uh what movie watching habits uh 2020 the figure i have down for myself is 638 movies watched last year 20 or excuse me two years ago 2021 i believe i was at 575 last year 2022 came out around uh, 475 so my um, I guess desire to see my life change in such uh, such a way where I maybe have less you know less time to watch a couple hundred excuse me extra odd movies um, you know that's coming to fruition. Um, this feels like a, a stable number for me with regards to balancing 
my other, uh, you know, my life obligations, my various social duties, uh, my wife, I've got a trip to the moon coming up this year. Um, all, all these other hobbies, everything that, you know, I got, I got a full, full slate and a full plate ahead of me. Um, so, and obviously as the world continues to adjust and react and fluctuate with regards to, to COVID and things like that. Um, so that is, that's getting way too quantitative with regards to, you know, like the specific focuses 2021, I ended up watching a lot of Maggie Chung movies. 2022 was the year of Eric Romare, uh, in my household households, I guess. Um, I don't know what I'm going to end up trending toward, uh, this year. We'll, we'll kind of see, I, I do have a few ideas. Um, I'll obviously keep poking and prodding at my letterbox watch list. Uh, one of my Christmas gifts to myself this last year was, uh, a release from Arrow. It is the, the volume two Shaw brothers. I think they call it Shaw scope, um, like box sets. Oh, so sick. 14. Yeah. 14 Shaw brothers movies. I'm uh, 12 of which I haven't seen. So I'm going to go through and, and watch those. I don't know if I'll, we'll see if I get through all of them this year, but, um, that's something that will be uh, on my full plate. I mean, it's not full, it's however full I want to make it. But, uh, one thing, and I think I called this up last year as well, and then just ignored it, but I have, um, a box set of early Lubitsch films that, uh, has been sitting unwatched. So I hope to, to get to those, um, because who, whomst among us has not craved a little bit of, of the Lubitsch touch. And I regret phrasing it in that way in retrospect, but, um, uh, also, I, I guess last specific shout out, it was referenced already uh, once or twice on this episode, but uh, I, I threw in a group chat the other day or that, that we're in um, Neon Genesis, probably go through and watch that for the first time uh, at some point. Uh, it just, it seems uh, it's one of those inevitable things and why not make it in 2023? But you know, beyond that, hope to yes. keep up with current year releases um and yeah well i know neon genesis is a buttload of other movies we'll see we'll see how i feel about those after i finish the series and and that one movie you're supposed to watch but beyond that keeping up with current year like 2023 theatrical releases as much as possible and keeping up with the the trial and calendar as much as possible because uh I don't, they they play great movies at the trial on um again we've had some a lot of uh, hot and cold takes throughout this episode um and that's i guess one of the that one's ones. blazing uh, yeah yeah so you know we'll we'll see what happens, and I guess uh, that, that's that's all for me. All all popcorn, Jason. Jason, how does this upcoming year look for you with regards to your uh, movie watching? I'm feeling goals? the popcorn. Um, <laughs> I had my. I think I said that I was going to try and watch the 007 movies, like the whole series this year. I think that was my goal for 2022. Uh, I think I watched <laughs> one. Did, I think I watched. I think one. I didn't see any of those. I was gonna say. I want to say I watched them no, two, two, maybe t- maybe two. Like, um, I think from Rush with Love and uh, what's the one that everybody loves from uh, Brosnan series? Goldeneye. Uh, Gold, uh, Goldeneye. Yeah, I think it was Goldeneye. Yeah, uh, that's the one with Alan Cumming. The in world it. is not enough. No, I don't think it was World. Of nope. I think it was Goldeneye. Good bit. Um, good bit. Good, <laughs> good bit. bit. <laughs> uh, I. You're carrying that forward or no? I kind of don't want to carry it forward because it was dependent on uh, watching with Seth and he's got his own director watch going uh, and he's finishing that up next year or this year. That's 23 to 23. And I don't want to like pin that on him and have me like dependent on that and uh, whatever. I didn't find myself compelled to really follow through on it last year. So I think I'll take it at my own pace. What I am looking to do is watch all of Columbo. Listen to me now. I'm going to watch all of Columbo Hmm. in 2023. It's like, what okay. nine? How much Columbo is there? I think there's like nine oh, or ten God. seasons, and they're all pretty. It's like, so much Columbo. It's, it's only like hashtag six so re- much Columbo. So much Columbo. Too much Columbo. Uh, 
I think it's like six or eight episodes per season at the longest, but it's like hour 20, hour 30 minute episodes, like a British television series. I'm like, I'm only a couple episodes deep, not including what we did at, uh, at the Trilon for that one secret screening, which was bomb. I think that's what really put me on the, put it on the radar for me. Not including that. I'm only two episodes deep and I'm still really loving it. Like it's all on Tubi. It's commercially so I can get up and go take a piss or whatever in the middle of the episode. It's actually the ideal way to watch it for me um, rather than just bingey, bingey, bingey. I think if I get through, I didn't do the math, but if I get through like one or two per week, which seems manageable, I should be able to get through the series by the end of the year. I'm going to, that's my, that's my mm-hmm. resolution for movies is I'm going to watch, well, movies, they're movie length. Yeah. They're not movies, yeah. f- film, filmed at a uh, uh, life watching. Uh, that's my um, uh, resolution for the year. Is that, is that, was that the prompt Cody? Is there any other information that I need on top of that? No, no, that, that was perfect. Whatever, whatever, you know, floats to the surface within your, your innermost desires, as far as things you, you want to watch this year. Uh, my popcorn is floating. Um, uh, Aaron, where, where's your popcorn? Um, we're skipping over Harry. Oh, nice. it's kind of a no, no, kind I, of like a set order to these things, but that's cool. There, you can well, you went from I, I, well, yeah, Cody went first though. Cody went first though. Popcorn is yeah. completely different. It was from, what is it? Okay. <laughs> you know, that's no, not. No, it's fine. It's fine. Go for no, it. No, you go. No, you go, man. No, I guess oh, well, we want to butt in. I want, you, I want you to go. It, I think it'd be great if you. No, would. I think I think I think I want you to go. I think it's part, one of my I resolutions need, that you go first. No, I think so go. I don't think you need more time to think. I think you have exactly. berries were salty. Listen to twenty twenty three, baby. I think I think my resolution last year. I'll go real quick. Was to do three sixty five movies. I came up very short of that. Uh, um, for various reasons, including um, a girlfriend and sadly just as prominently a gaming PC <laughs> uh, that I that I picked up uh, this year. Civilization uh, not, really ruined. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm specific time um, or a specific number of movies this year because I don't think that works out. I do have two movie related resolutions, though. One, um, I felt pretty bad about all the movies at the trial and I missed because we weren't recording on them. Um, so one of my big resolutions is, which like, I don't blame us, right? Like we, we record once a week, they're going to do way more movies than once a week. So we'll never be able to record on them all. But, um, I, uh, so I really want to go to the, uh, trial on in person more this year, uh, even more than I did last year, um, and see as many movies there as possible because I love going there. It turns out. Um, and then two, I think that like, I, I'm often, I often end up watching movies um, just because of like how available they are um, because I don't really make plans to watch movies. I just like eight 30 or whatever rolls around and I'm like, Oh, I want to watch a movie. So I find whatever's on the criterion or whatever. Um, I'd like to be a little bit more deliberate about that and maybe make use of, shall we say all of the resources um, at my disposal to find movies that may uh, be difficult to track down and watch them because there are lots of movies I really want to see that I end up never watching because either um, I don't have easy access to them or they're two and a half hours long looking at you strange days last night on HBO max. Uh, but soon, um, so we will, uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, Aaron, I will popcorn to you, my friend. There you go. Save the are you sure? Last. I mean, are you sure you yeah. want to? I mean, hey, we, we can, we can go back last. to somebody. Um, I, I'll say I, I'm, I'm one of those sickos who makes a bunch of resolutions every year. And then I do like a third of them, uh, just consistently every single year. Um, I only, I, my only movie one was to, just kind of finish up some of the filmographies from directors that I'd seen most of the films of Jacques Tati and 
uh, like Kubrick and and Wong Kar Wai and, and people like that. That are any just, any like, women directors on that films. list, Aaron? Are you gonna leave us hanging? Um, yeah, you know, I, I could, yeah, yes, yep. And uh, so I don't. I'm just like naming off. I don't. It's that was just like a general resolution. But I will. I will go through the list. I have, and I'll, I, I'll I give have you made, a full. I've made an ominous note in my document that you will never see. Aaron me, needs to me give and all my female director friends who are standing right out of frame. <laughs> They're right out of frame. Yeah, um, they'd love to talk on mic, but just only room. For I got one Kelly Riker right here. That's exactly right. Catherine Bigelow um, is right outside my door. Sorry, I could do Bigelow, but I've, I think I have like three Bigelow films to. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, you know what? Let me just type down Bigelow. There we go. <laughs> Shaming um, works. Yeah. Uh, other than that, uh, slightly related, uh, my New Year's resolution uh, that I did not write. It's not an actual one, but continue to watch pretty much no TV. It'll just and that one, I just check that off right at the beginning of the year because that's just going to happen whether I want to or not. Just not gonna watch any TV. So your, uh, your, your resolution year. and mine are in, are in direct opposition to one another at this point. Sure. I, I want to do nothing but watch the TV, and you want to yeah. watch no TV. I watch like one TV show a year, like one mini series uh, a year. So I'll, I'll, who knows what that could be? Something will strike my fancy halfway through the year, and I'll do Our that. Our friend Kyle uh, might have an idea. Uh, he might, and I'm. Uh, I do want. Yes, I may consider watching Bosch. Just a, uh, just a uh, Bosch watch. It would be, it would be funny if I just showed up one day having watched all of Bosch. Um, <laughs> and then I, I, I didn't. Uh, this is not an actual one again, but I, I will say that I do want to. I went to the music box a lot last year. I would like to extend that. I would like to go to Facets and uh, the Gene Siskel Film Center a little bit more. Uh, maybe in aren't in you going to spend like year. twenty hours over the course of two days there for some reason? I'm going to spend more than that. Jesus, spend more than a day of time watching movies over the next month and a half. Tango with uh, Satan. Three, three, three films. Very, very long. Yes, the Gene Siskel Film Center is doing their super long uh, movie series. So I will watch three of those, I guess, unless I'm like actually busy one of those days. We'll see. Um, yeah, that, that's it. You know. Yeah. Nice. That's what I got. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Love, love to hear it. Thanks, gentlemen. Two just like quick things to, to tie a nice, well, not really, uh, quite the opposite. This doesn't really tie a bow on anything. Just things based on what y'all have shouted out that I wanted to comment on. One of them will be um, more of an indictment and the last one will be a little more uh, encouraging. But with it, hey, shout outs to, to Kelly Reichart who made a film and it uh, released, uh, I think it, what was it, Con or, or some other festivals in 2022. And I, I th- it's just like the seemingly monthly at this point just frustration i have with like distributors like a24 and neon where it's like yeah the new kelly reichardt movie or the new celine siama movie uh hey it's great trust us you're gonna love it when you see it it's gonna come out uh in a year and a half's time from whenever this tweet is being tweeted and uh, if google is to be believed a24 is um going to distribute the uh, Kelly Reichardt showing up in the spring of 2023. And it's just like, what the fuck Jesus are we doing guys? Christ. Like what is, I don't So infinitely frustrated um, with, with fuckos like that. Just like, let us see, let us see the movies. Um, so that's, that's annoying. But uh, with regards to uh, watching and discovering more things, um, I, I will also I, like we've shouted out. I've shouted out Tubi before. Um, just honestly, like if you're if you have that threshold of um, letterboxed access where like you you can filter by like streaming service and things like that, you know, add Tubi to that. It's a free 
with ads streaming service. But the number of times that I've like through my watch list, just some something randomly that is maybe not accessible on like a lot of the heavy hitters or like can't be found anywhere. Just I'll get a, a notification, you know, the third or fourth of the month and just like, hey, this this thing that you want to watch is is on Tubi. Like I think Jason, between you and I, we've found um like very like Chinese, like Jackie Chan Kung Fu films that yeah. couldn't be found anywhere else. Like Tubi just randomly spins them up and just like, hey, just fresh out of the oven, this movie that has been unavailable for like a quarter of a century, you can now watch it. Uh, and usually the, the copies are, are pretty good depending on, I don't know, it depends on the movie, but um, mm-hmm. here's to Tubi and here's for all of us um, finding new uh, or maybe not new. Maybe we're returning to old favorites, but just, you know, stuff to watch this year. Here, you know, what? Th- this year is going to be one for the fellas. I know the last couple, uh, you know, the last, you know, a handful of centuries have been tough for us guys, but you know, 2023 is going to be, be one for the boys. It's going to be our year. Time. Yeah. I think it's, uh, it took a long time to come. Um, uh, can we, let's go back and like, remember that I, I just want to be able to like 2022 be, can we pretend like last year was the year for to be and, Sure. And then, oh, and then 2023 is the year of the little freak. We're just going to bump that ahead retroactively. Jason, you can pretend whatever you want, pal. (laughs) Reality is perception is perception. Fast and limitless. (laughs) Okay, so 2022 be coming up. Uh, Thank you, Cody. That was a wonderful edition of Cody's Noties in which we uh, laid out all, all our resolutions. I can't wait to. Not achieved mine, but we'll try. Uh, thank you so much for listening, listener. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. Go there for tickets and showings. They got a bunch of cool new merch. I got a new keychain from there. It's a really heavy duty red uh, ticket from the Trilon. It's fucking sick. A lot of that new merch is really awesome. Uh, so go grab something. It's all affordable, all fun, and all goes toward the worthy cause of uh, promoting repertory cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and across the Midwest. A lot of partner stuff that they do are at various theaters around the area. Uh, go to the music box, I guess, if you can, if you're in Chicago. I guess we have two major listening zones, and those are them. Uh, but for right now, I think you should go to trialon.org and just see what's playing. Get in touch with us if you want to talk about one of those movies at Trial of Podcast on Twitter or at Trial of Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to just find out what I'm up to, I'm tweeting some gross stuff lately. Uh, 2023 is the year of gross tweets from Jason. Uh, it's uh, at Nintendoofus is my handle. Um, thank you very much for listening. Yeah, two gross man uh, mans on this on this pod. That's that's a lot of good fun. Uh, and another fun little tradition, I guess, is the first episode of the new year. We end up recording on uh, a movie that will probably be making waves at the the end of year festivities. So um, so look for <laughs> look for Ghost in the Shell. Um, you know, look look for that. We'll probably be talking about that in many months' time, uh, and maybe for the rest of our lives as well, because uh, it's quite good. But for now, I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. I've been Harry Mackin. You can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. My name is Aaron. Folks, I say this every year, but 2023, I think it's going to be my year. I think I'm really taking over. This is this is uh, last year. Uh, you know, I said that. Maybe it didn't end up coming to pass, but I think this year is different. So just stay tuned. Who knows what could happen? 2023. You find me on Twitter at Harvey, please. Hey, excuse me, this rubbish. Hey.